This week's fighting words, Donovan here as usual. I am recording in good old Ohio, and I am joined this week by my brother-in-law, Scott Burns. Hello, Scott. Hello, Donovan. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Oh, I'm trying to remember the words now. Do you know in Spanish they have actually different words for uh, brother-in-law? If it's, um, let's see. Uh, what would it be? So if you, like Donnie, mm-hmm. who would be my wife's actual brother, mm-hmm. is a different word than you. Oh, okay. Because you're my wife's sister's husband. Yes. And in uh, in America, or I, I guess- I think we should do that. England. I think we should bring, I think Indian has the same thing. Hindi, or in the Indian culture, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we should do it, make it an English thing. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it is. Uh, well, anyway, you're my brother-in-law, but you're not my wife's brother. You're my wife's sister's husband. Mm. It's interesting. So Scott Burns, some of you have met Scott. You've had the pleasure. He's been out in Iowa a couple times visiting. You were out just recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like six months ago. Yeah. It's been a while. Was it that long? Yeah. It'd be, yeah. It's been a lot of years since I've been out there. All right. So a little bit of context here. I, I grew up in Ohio and... Uh, we are back in town right now for the break and visiting Aubrey's family in Marion, Ohio. And uh, Scott's actually from California, and that's where I really got to know you. Obviously, we married in the same family, but when I moved out to California almost 14 years ago now mm-hmm. to be trained for ministry, um, I was thrown in under uh, Scott's mercies. So I am Scott's fault. And into Scott's back room. That's right. That's right. You guys built an addition in your house, took us in, and we, at one point, we had uh, I think five babies in diapers there, and yeah. it was foul. Thirteen people in the house, a lot of puke and yeah, stuff like that. But it was, it was a good season. It was a party. Yeah, great season. And since you have moved to Ohio to be involved in church planting and in German Village, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought would be an interesting topic for the podcast, but we're not going to do that today. We'll do that another time. Is German Village is a uh, well, I don't know. What would you say would be? Un- we'll do a, a few minutes on this. What would be unique about church planting in German Village? Yeah, no, German Village in our area is known as being a an LGBT community, but not a unique one. It's one that's kind of more characterized by age, uh, money, uh, political and social influence versus a party culture. So it's kind of a we have a it's a well to do. Yeah, well to do. Um, we have we have. Uh, uh, gay couples in their 60s and 70s, and um, people that have been in that in that you know living in that culture for a long, long time. So it's um, yeah, a unique, settled culture amongst the LGBT community. Yeah, it's not it's not a bandwagon type. Yeah, LGBT. Right, but it's, it's deep. It's it's sunk in deep, deep, deep to the bone. You know, deep identity stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's that pre- pre- presents unique challenges, and uh, what but we'll do that another time. Uh, today. What uh, what Scott and I are going to do is we're going to we actually have another guest. He's uh going to come in through the internet. Uh, surprise guest Joe Rogan. So, some of you don't know, I know Joe, I know him very well. So he's agreed to come on today. 
Just kidding. We're going to play some uh, Joe Rogan on YouTube. Um, I listen to Joe Rogan, and uh, sometimes he has some. He is the most listened to anything. Do you know that? Like he has yeah, more yeah. anything. Like he has more listens than Fox, CNN, NBC combined. He's the highest really uh, downloaded podcaster. Wow, out of control in the tens of hundreds of millions or something like that. He's built that over the years. So what that means is that he has access to great guests. Yeah. Ever, you want to get to oh, yeah. the ears of the country, you get to Joe Rogan. Yep. And so anywhere from you know latest political candidates to experts in different fields, whether it be educational, yeah. uh, science, yeah. hunting, all kinds of stuff. And so I, I frequent that podcast. It's interesting. Ear into culture. And uh, you know one of, one of the things that Joe Rogan has done over the years, he's built a – a big following, and and apparently his podcast studio is really something. I don't know if you've heard them talk. It's this man cave. It's a, it's not at his house. He's he's built this whole different studio, and it is, it is grand. It's a it's an exercise, you know, facility. Really? It's uh, you know, it's kind of a museum. Okay. Like he has all kinds of like artifacts and collectibles that he's yeah. you know gathered over the years. And huh. in contrast, you and I are snuck away back in our in laws' bedroom. <laughs> Don's man cave. That's right. So uh, this is the future of ministry. I'm sure you envisioned 10 years That's ago right. was you and I tucked away in our in-laws bedroom. So it's the only place we can get peace and quiet around here. That's right. Banish the kids. That's right. And banish the Don. Hey, I mentioned hunting. Yeah. So you're into hunting. We're going to do a little, little uh, just get to know Scott a little yeah, bit before yeah. we uh, bring Joe on. Um, you're, you're into that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You, you kill animals. and I do. Yeah. So... I mean, we can go different routes with this, but what would be maybe one of the most interesting kills you've had? Either because of the type of animal or just how it went down? Interesting kill I've had. Um, Let me think about this. Well, I don't know. It's kind of hard. Now that I've been out in Ohio, I just have become like this bow hunting guy. I loved bow hunt. Growing up, I was um, was into more guns. You know, in California, it's kind of harder to bow hunt, especially out in the desert where I grew up from. Why? Um, Not as many animals. All right. Really hard to get close to them. So okay. a lot of so more barren, barren, long distance sh- spots and stalks and shots, stuff like that. Out here, it's a lot different. You get all this nice forest. You can sneak up on a deer and just strangle it here. Yeah, with your own pinkies, if you're really good. <laughs> a little pinky hole. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, no, I love that. I think I think probably my, my most fun uh, hunt was probably up in Alaska, above the Arctic Circle by Dead Horse, Alaska, where some caribou one time. So that was probably the probably the most fun one I've done. And uh, most interesting, you know, you you land, and as we land, we have to buzz the. You know, you don't you don't land on a on an airstrip. We're landing on a riverbank, and we we literally had to like chase a, a grizzly bear off the riverbank. Oh with no, dude! Now we just turn the plane around. And then uh, no, so so literally, when you <laughs> land, you land um, as we're as we're coming to a stop. Like we're some of us are getting our guns out, and we're not going to hunt grizzlies, but. We know one's right there, so we're 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 loading our guns as we're stepping out of the plane, and almost like almost like some cheap police movie, like we are actually starting to like get outside and take position because it ran off that we just saw it run out from those bushes. We don't have a reason it's not going to run back. Mm. So it was fun, man. We saw grizzlies, uh, we saw Arctic fox, caribou, um, some of the things in the water there, grayling, Arctic char. 
So uh, pretty neat, pretty neat place. Oh, and then we. Had what a- is a char? <clears throat> is that a fish? Yes, Donovan. So um, in, in the salmonoid family, we. Why have- do you say that so patronizingly, <laughs> Donovan? We have, we have the salmonoids, right? So uh, so particularly in the in the uh, West Coast, we have. Our- that sounds like an insult. That's right, you salmonoid. <laughs> We have our five salmon, right? We have our, our king salmon, which is called the schnook. And then we have our red, which is called the sockeye. And the silver, which is called the goho. And then you get these nasty two that they sell to lower 48 called chum or dog. Also marketed as chrome bright um, or keta. And then finally is the pink, a.k.a. the humpy. And uh, those are kind of like the dog food of Alaska, but that's what they sell a lot of times down here in cans and stuff like that. So you have that. no offense to all all of you in the lower forty eight. Right. We had a fish snob in here, right? Who are just chowing on your pink salmon out of a can right now. Uh, okay, um, so right. that's the salmon. Then we get trout, and then in between we have this cousin, this group called the char family, and there's particularly three that sit in there for. But the brook trout, which is kind of common to a lot of people in the Ford, lower 48, the Dolly Varden trout and the Arctic char. And the Arctic char and Dolly Varden are so close to each other, it's hard to actually tell the difference between the two. You really kind of need a biologist, a fish biologist, to show you the difference between the two. So Arctic char is a really cool, kind of a half species between a trout and a salmon. Kind of. Let me ask you this. Is this the kind of material you busted out on your first date? Second date. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let, I let, mean, I can see why. Let, let's chill on that first one and then like let the cat out of the bag that I wow. like weird That's things, so. you, you, I just did not know what I was getting into. Right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Straight <laughs> zoology. Yep. So um, anyway, that was probably my most fun hunting trip was up above the Arctic Circle there. And well, really cool thing. We're in camp one day and we have a musk ox walk through camp, which looks like a cow with dreads. And uh, the dreads are so long, some of them you can't even see the feet. It's just like this moving, like, mop come through. Almost like a yak? Yep. Yeah, very similar. And uh, we were all starting to kind of get ready to go, like, get close to take some pictures. And then someone had the bright idea of, like, do any of us know the disposition of a musk ox? And after a little check, we realized we don't. So we all backed off and... Got home, looked at Does any? I've never asked that question. Does anyone know the disposition of a muskox? <laughs> Which is really good because they're angry. They charge everything. They charge cars, snow machines. So uh, we're glad we let, let the uh, muskox alone. So there. I remember one of the times I knew you and I were cut from a different cloth. When uh, when we lived in California and the kids were all playing on the back patio and they had, there was a bird hopping around. It couldn't fly. They were kind of playing with it. And you were like, no, 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 no. We don't touch it. You uh, intuited that it had some kind of sickness. Mm-hmm. And then you grabbed that bird and ripped its head off. And I was mortified. Um, <laughs> and But you were just casual about it. And I was like, what? And you said, oh, I've done that thousands of times. <laughs> or hundreds or something. <laughs> dozens. And, some, and I was like, what? And I guess it's because of... Uh, hunting pigeon or dove or something uh, yeah. quail dove pigeon you know when you whack them and they're not quite dead the fastest most kind way to do kind. it just, it's just just <laughs> pop their head off it's just it's just a little tiny tissue that holds it on in the first place so just pop it off and they're good and you're not at all like grossed out by that no, like, no no oh no. my gosh no not at all that's the joys of being raised in the desert of california go palmdale all right yeah Wow, so you fit in really well at German Village. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I was I was uh, cleaning a deer one time on the side of my house, and these cops drove by and like basically got out and gave me a slow clap, like "Yes, there we go." Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, so so much for becoming all things to all people. That's right. That's right. Um, man. All right. Well, that's Scott in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, killing uh, killing animals. 
heads off of things. I like. I, I, okay, I have I have two cats and a dog and a gecko and a, and an office chameleon. So I just want you to know, I like animals. I'm friends of animals. I just happen to eat other ones. Yeah. Just well, it just all depends on things. Yeah. Some sick savage. So. No, no, no. You're not sick. You're all a very right. nice man. Um, you're just uh, exercising dominion. Mm, yeah. Yep. And you and you. Well, and I've enjoyed the fruits. I mean, we've eaten food that you've brought moose and elk and mm-hmm. plenty of venison and things like that yeah um and some atlantic salmon i think you brought back one time so i've enjoyed that and you also if, if i understand how this works you're on the uh, police call list for roadkill <laughs> right yes i am so yeah. that means that like you this is a way to supplement like nourishment for your family right and especially for those really honored guests like we really if we really love who you are, we go with the special thing and bust out the roadkill for you. That's a sign. So what that means is if someone crashes into a deer or a deer yeah. runs into a car. So the cops, the cops call, there's a list you can get on with a lot of your police departments. And if, and if a, if a car gets in an accident with a deer and it hasn't like exploded it. Right. Um, and especially if the cops have to put the deer down by shooting it, they will call dispatch and there's a list of people and they call through it to see who wants to come and not just let this meat rot. So they don't have to deal with it that way. Yeah, and the cop waits there for you, so I, I pull up, and I they give me a special little ticket. So since I'm not hunting it, right, I get a special ticket, and I roll it on the back of my hitch hauler, and off I go. How often does do you get a call like that? I probably get six, eight calls a winter. Wow, they, they that's t- a lot of meat. That is, but I usually don't take it. A lot of times they come in like the middle of the night, like at three in the morning. Yeah. So you get a call from the cops at three in the morning, and you're always kind of like wondering, is this someone I know that died, or is this a free meal? And uh, I really don't want either of those calls at three o'clock in the morning anyway. So um, it kind of depends on what time of the day it is. If it's if it's in the daytime hours, I'll usually take it. If it's in the middle of the night, a lot of times I like I like to sleep. Yeah. Well, another another way we just live different lives, man. I'm not into that. Uh, but I think you came home when you you came back here with some deer meat the other night. Wasn't that a, a yes. roadkill? Yep, that was. Uh, is that the official term? That's not a roadkill. What do you call it? Oh, you call roadkill. Um, that's they usually just somebody got a deer down. So yeah, you right. call it roadkill if you want. Right. But it's not like I'm driving along. And I go, hey, no. <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> a pile of fur in the bushes there? Let me go check it. No, this is fresh. Right. This is fresh. Yeah, you yeah. get a standards. You don't get a call unless the cop whacked it. You <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Was it? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let me transition here. Um, <laughs> Interesting stuff. So here's what we're going to do today. So we listen to Joe Rogan, and uh, every once in a while he'll um, – he had a guest on recently, actually, and they were just kind of religion bashing. Um, and I thought, well, it'd be interesting to go through this and just um, answer counterpoint, you know, make respond to the points he makes. And he's not here to yeah. counterpoint, but he's just ranting also just online. So we're going to do that um, in an effort to – I could just help us think through how do we think through these things? Uh, you know, he's a not, he's a not a believer, and uh, and so he's not a fan of Christianity. I mean, that's going to come out here in, in the things we're going to play. And the question is, well, how do we think through that? I mean, he's going to ask uh, make some points that some of them will be, I think, easier to respond to. Some of them will be uh, more difficult. Um, uh, so how do we think through those things? These the things he's saying or spouting are things that I read online on comments, Facebook threads. Like people are saying these things. So mm-hmm. for us as Christians, uh, or even if you're not a Christian out there and you're listening to this, well, um, here's some counterpoints to maybe some of the things that maybe you've thought or or you've heard. Uh, I'm going to warn you. This uh, w- what we're going to do is we have about a six or seven minute clip of. 
of Joe Rogan just kind of ranting on Christianity, particularly religion in general. And uh, he swears quite often. Now, here's the deal. I'm not bleeping that out. I don't have time. Um, and I'll just tell you my perspective on this is hearing non-Christians swear is about pretty low on my avoid category. Um, this is the world, right? Go to work, get on the bus, go to school, these, watch TV. These are things you're going to hear. So, Right, but just in case you're playing this in your <clears throat> minivan with your six kids right. in the back. You know. Right, so I want you, that's why I'm warning you ahead of time. Because I know sometimes you, your kids, um, and again, this is a, a question for you. How would you deter? How would you determine, you know, whether or not you would let your kids listen to this? Well, it just depends. You got to know your kids. My kids, probably the older three, I would. I'd play it, and then we'd talk through it, and I'd say, "Well, here's what that means, and here's why we don't talk that way." And then we'd go on again. Shielding them from hearing non-Christians swear is not my biggest concern with them. Um, so that being said. Um, I've got this video. I, I don't have answers prepared. In fact, I, I haven't listened to this one in a while. I know I've heard it before, and I sent you a couple of them uh, that we could look at. And uh, we'll just kind of go. So he's on about a six or seven minute rant. We may get through all of this. We may not. And so we'll just play a little bit of it, and then uh, we'll pause when necessary and maybe rewind if we have to. All right, Joe Rogan, welcome to the show. Let's see. Are we going here? I know evolution is the wrong word for there, but as it improves and expands, we are no longer accepting the idea of Satan. Yeah. Like culturally, culturally, Satan was an accepted thing hundreds of years ago. It was parallel. Like, like if you looked at the mentions of Satan and the mentions of God, they were right up there together. You're blaming Satan on the bad things and you're praising God for the good things. Uh. That's no longer the case. Now we just cling to these absurd notions of this one that's watching us all the time and you gotta sort of peripherally mention it and casually reference it without going into detail and you're allowed to do that because it makes people think well you're on the same page right. as me you're a God-fearing right. Christian man like myself right. I'm a God-fearing Christian man myself as well God bless you God bless you as well <laughs> you know all right so I think what he's getting out there is this uh, idea that he's pointing out that even in religious circles there's been maybe a development of how People are willing to talk about the supernatural, and he's using this idea of we've evolved past this idea of Satan, right? right? So God is, you know, God bless you, or man, God really provided, but are people running around saying, oh, the devil made me do it, or right? And um, I don't know. There's probably probably something to that. I, I, as I listen to that, I uh, I certainly am aware. I feel um, that when I'm teaching or preaching. I can I feel pretty free to talk about God, mm -hmm. Jesus, even the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. um, and I still do it. But I but I sense a uh, it, things are going to get weirder here if I mention the demonic yeah. realm. Yeah, right. Yep. Which doesn't make sense if it's right. If it's supernatural, it's all supernatural. supernatural. Yeah. You know, do you, do you identify with that? Do you feel like that's yeah, it's true? I, I definitely feel that way when I when I gonna when I'm gonna change trajectory towards Satan or um, things of super. That's Joe Rogan calling. He's offended. <laughs> He's offended. <laughs> Play the whole clip, man. Play no. the whole clip. So I, I definitely feel that it's a funny it's a funny thing. Um, I think there's just ways that 
we quit thinking within the confines of Christianity and start adopting our Western world. And I think that's what that's what that shows me. When I feel that inside me, feel a little, resi- a little hesitance towards it, or I feel like the people that are listening are going to have hesitance towards it, that usually is me to me a reminder of we are not yet thinking in God's ways or we're starting to slip back in a little bit Western. But I think, I think his point there too is really good because something that's very far from Christianity that we would hold to is this general, God bless you, Western American culture, right? Where he gets mentioned at the end of all the football games and the basketball games. And, and it's really a, a kind of a, a theistic form of positivism. And so um, I think that there's, I think that thing just, all the way across America. So that, I see that that very dynamic. He's talking about a lot of time as a, a theistic positivism referenced with uh, that kind of God bless you culture. Want to thank God for this win. I mean, I'm very thankful that we thank God for the wins and we thank him for the losses in our bouncy ball games. But um, um, I think I see that, that nature, that whole thing that he's talking about, I see it all over the place. Yeah, perhaps what he's touching on is just the idea of that really God's getting pushed to the edges anyway. So it's like, you know, it's not like people are being. So he's saying we're, you know, we've we've moved past Satan. I mean, like we just say, hey, I, I love God, but mm-hmm. but really, like, are you seeking to hear from a supernatural God on a right. daily basis? Are you seeking His guidance? Yeah. In life, are you seeking that He would actually answer prayers and uh, cause miracles? Or yeah. yeah, what you're saying is it. Yeah, if he's going to be pushed to the margins and he's really kind of just this cultural kind of band-aid or veneer, then that's the last vestige to go. Like The, the demons have gone, mm-hmm. Satan's gone, mm-hmm. angels have gone, probably the power of the Holy Spirit's gone, but God is a kind of generally available grandfather maybe. Yeah, with no uh, no sides that we don't like about him. Yeah, so I think that's very very common thing it's you know as we've talked about a little bit at the uh, in the last few days the the age of decadence we we, you know, we form sports and uh, music and our visions of theology just things that really are comfortable to us they they cover the few pitfalls and holes that we still have to face as people so i think where we're at right now we love a good positivism um inside of christianity outside of christianity we like a positive spin even your kind of lightweight mega christianity stuff is just it's just positivism with a with a with a Jesus name put on it. So, yeah, screw that, dude. Screw positivism. <laughs> right. Let's get that. pessimistic. Yeah, discouraging. No, um, <laughs> let's get. So, I'm not silly. You know, I'll take big objection to what he's saying. There's just making observations of what he's saying. So let's oh, go. Oh, but if you right. go out, Satan is looking out for you. Satan is watching you right now. Satan is just letting the air out of your tires. <laughs> like, you go, well, that guy's a fucking idiot. Right. You know, like we've moved past Satan. Yeah. But we haven't moved past, past God. God. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Or the idea of God. Even the, I mean, if there is some all-knowing entity that is controlling everything and, and is filled with love and has a grand plan for the universe, they have yet to show themselves. So this is all mm. just a concept and an idea with no basis in fact. And as we have found more facts about the nature of reality and the world itself, it seems more and more preposterous with every day. Every day. Okay, okay. We can rewind or, or, or go back. Yeah. Um, I hear a couple things there. One is, okay, so if there is a God, he should show himself. So there's this idea of what it, what it would mean for God to show himself mm-hmm. and how you would know what kind of proof would be. Yeah. Uh, so it's an epistemological yeah. question or yeah. statement. And then there's the other... Uh, 
the other point I hear there is this idea of him asserting that we have learned more and more about the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've heard this line of reasoning. I'm not sure exactly where he's going right now, but uh, the idea that, you know, we, we used to think it was spirits that made the wind and we used to think it was, you know, gods that brought the rain. But now we know what causes rain, mm-hmm. you know, we know what causes wind differences mm-hmm. in temperature and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's diminished our need. So this idea of the God of the gaps, mm-hmm. when you don't know anything, we say, well, it was God. Mm-hmm. And the more you learn scientifically, then the need to have a God to explain that diminishes. So there's, I think there's a, a couple things there. So um, how about that first issue about uh, he has yet to show himself. If there is a God who's all loving and control of everything um, and uh, benevolent and all that, he has yet to show himself. So that's... That's the question. <laughs> I know what you want to say, but I know. But this is this is complicated. Though. This is the idea of how would you know? Yeah. What what? So I don't. I have some thoughts, but go ahead. Right. Initial thoughts or? I think, uh, man, there's so many things. I, I think I think number one is is uh, there's such a temptation for uh, us to have like this chronological snobbery type thing where he has yet to show himself, as if. Any of us have been walking this planet for the last 4,000 years, 10,000 years, however long we've been. 4.5 billion. Is that what it is now? Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, that. That we think that he is, that we can say he has yet to show himself when he actually says in his, in his word, if the Bible is true, that he has shown himself quite a few times. Ooh. So, yeah. Now, that's good, too. I didn't even thought of that. So, it's like, well, he hasn't shown himself to me. Right. Yeah. Like, he owes you like, that. As if you can be all places in the world at one time. Um, you know, those kind of things, like in over history. So... I think, um, you know, as he's mentioning, uh, you know, as he's, he's making his point, but he, you know, he's going through, like, if you look in the back in the old days, you see that Satan and, and, are, and God are mentioned side by side, just making a lot. Sorry about that. I keep hitting your machinery here. That's right. You're, um, you're getting excited. That's right. Start gesturing out here. He's saying, um, you know, he's making these very broad statements, these broad authoritative statements that in the old days, God and Satan were mentioned side by side. But what are the old days? Where is he looking at? Where where are we actually measuring this, that God and Satan are written side by side? Where are we looking for God has never shown himself? So there's a, I think there's just a lot of statements of authority that he's just moving right through. Um, I listened, I think I listened, this This was the clip I listened to ahead of time. Just there's a lot of authority statements <sighs> put all the way through it. That don't really. There are there's some vague generality of truth to some of them. You know, they're not ignorant statements saying that God is in control, or the statements that we would say that God is in control, full of love, and is in knows all things. Um, but he's moving very quickly through those categories and to definitively, authoritatively say God's never shown Himself. Who are you to be able to say that? Well, I, yeah, that's good. At the end of the day, you don't actually know. Like, yeah, you know, that's a that's a claim, right? Um, but. Hasn't been set. My, I kind of come at it from the angle of how would you know? Mm-hmm. So what kind of appearance would satisfy you? So right. um, would it be like Thanos? Right. So like, yeah. so if Thanos mm-hmm. showed up on the planet with his glove, yes, and said, "Watch this," would that, and would that prove would that prove he is Yahweh? Right. Which right, because, like what would prove Yahweh? Right. But wouldn't it just prove there's obviously some alien out there? Like what? Go ahead. Right. Well, I think, I think one of the things that kills us as Christians is 
is our no our unknown epistemologies. So epistemologies always flow from Would you define that word? The study of knowledge, how we know things, right? Okay. Truly deeply most know. So it's kind of the basis of philosophy. Like basically. if you study philosophy, the first thing you're going to should study is epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. Right. How do we know? How do we know we even know? How do we know we're here? How is knowledge knowable? Right. And there's multiple theories of epistemology and they all come from a faith basis, right? And so if you're hanging out with your Islamic friends, they're going to give you, they're going to measure everything and speak everything from the rules of epistemology that flow out of an Islamic worldview. Same thing with the Western. We have one we do here all the time. We have a Christian, Judeo-Christian one. We have different ones around the world. You, you know something. You most assuredly know something by certain rules. So um, I think in 1 Corinthians, when we were teaching 1 Corinthians, that, that just, that I didn't see that one coming in the text rocked my world. The Jews, the Jewish people, they look for power. because That's how because, we'll know. If right. Thanos shows up. Right. So if Thanos shows up. I think, by the way, I think it's Thanos, not Thanos. Sorry. Because if you're doing Greek, it's Thanos. Th- it's Thanos, right? But I think it's Thanos. So my kids bust me. Um, if he shows up and he does a demonstration of supernatural power, um, that then proves it. You know, casting green fire of your fingertips, being able to make an apparition show up in the corner, that, dem- that is the most sure demonstration of power. Whereas to the, to the Greeks and to the Gentiles, it was wisdom, earthly wisdom, which um, according to commentaries and the study back there, it's the same thing we have in our, in our Make it all world. make sense. Make it make sense. Tie all the pieces together. Empirical, re- empirical proof, reason, logic, um, visual observation, those kind of things. That is what is most assured. And so um, we in the West who are making a lot of the stuff and listening to a lot of stuff, this is, we all assume that the entire world has to fit in our epistemology. So that is all spoken from a Western secular epistemology coming from a Western secular religion, known or not known. And therefore, they think that that is ultimate, that it's actually neutral ground. The true neutral ground is Western epistemology. So everything he's saying is, is, is all working out of the Western epistemology sense, not out of the other epistemology senses of this world, ones that would actually call themselves, like an Islamic, um, like Judeo-Christian, like a spiritist, those kind of things. So, But I think it's really easy for us who listen, since almost all of our friends are Western secularists. Yes. And in all of our Christian friends, almost all of our Christian friends still operate off of Western secularist epistemology. Um, we we feel like, oh well, I have to engage, I have to engage the game at that level with those tools to those tests. And uh, I would say that's where Jesus demonstrated very clearly. That's actually not how he rolls, right? He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't come and play by our rules. He has the rules. Right. He sets them. He says. He says how we most surely know anything. So um, I think that the epistemology piece is a huge piece, and probably, yeah. I think for us, probably one of the greatest, um, greatest forces that crushes our our eagerness and willingness to speak the gospel to people is our Christian adherence to a secularist epistemology. So I think that's why everyone in Christianity loves, um, loves so much loves and hopes for good apologetics. I love and appreciate good apologetics, but our, our Christian world so hopes for good apologetics because honestly, a lot of their hope still is in a, in a Western secularistic epistemology. Yeah, if you, may, if you argue it right. If I, if I can give you enough points, if I can outpoint you, if I can, if I can put my uh, percentages higher than your percentages, 
supposedly what's going to happen, if I give you greater percentages than you have, then you're like, man, well, you've outpercentaged me. I think I'm going to change my jersey. Right. Nobody's done that. I'm now going to become a Christian. I remember, and I'm bent that way because I like to argue. I like thinking philosophically. I have to see the connections. And I remember very distinctly working with a a guy who was my manager at a, a restaurant I worked at in California. And he would engage in these talks with me. And I would tell him, if there's no good, if there's no God, there's no good. If there's no God, there's no good. You know, like there's no, I'm going to go down that road right now, but that would be my assertion. And finally he admitted it. He goes, you know, I've been thinking about what you're saying. You're right. If there's no God, then there's no way to determine what's ultimately right and wrong. Hmm. Um, and I said, yeah. And he goes, I guess I just don't care. And I, and it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I've since learned that lesson more and more. And that's what, you know, Paul says, right? The, the Jews seek power, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, foolishness and a stumbling block. And and what First Corinthians is arguing there is that the reason God did that, he, right? He chose the things that are weak and foolish to shame the wise. Because if, if Christ proves his existence according to the rules of the world, the world gets to brag and say, see, we were right, we knew the rules. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he, God shames that. He answers to the world then. Right. Answers That's to, right. Answers to a particular, actually, just a particular culture of the world. Right. Right. It depends on which one he picks. Right. So, yeah. um, I think I think it's a big I think it's a big thing. Even even if you think about it, let's say you could, let's say you could prove that there is um, a God, and you can prove that that God wrote the Bible, and you can prove that Bible has no errors, and you can prove you can, uh, this whole thing. That still at the bottom doesn't bring salvation. You know, salvation is the changing of the heart, not just simply the. The acquiescing to a a more thorough team to a better to a better solution, but there is a wholehearted casting of oneself at the feet of Christ, and I I think I think one of the interesting things is you can I don't, I don't know I don't I don't have any exceptions to this, but when you think of when I think of both myself and every Christian I know, when you think of all the Christians you know, are there any of them that you think were argued in Christianity? Just C.S. Lewis. Just his, <laughs> <laughs> Just his testimony, you know, he reasoned to theism, and then from there, reason, you know, like, right? It's pretty rare, and even right. then, you know, that wasn't really the thing. Like right. God was using, uh, and then and then God flips his heart, yeah, you know, through through the gospel. So I'm not I'm not anti apologetics at all. I think apologetics are really wonderful. I think even really that that passage in First Corinthians is a lot of apologetics. It's helping understand the other way people think, and God's saying, and you know what. It pleased God to not allow men to reach him through their own epistemologies. It pleased him. So that no one would boast. So no one boasts. Yeah. And and that's a loving thing because let's say we're in the future now and we're all in the presence of God and God is drawing attention to himself through boasting and there our hearts are set on the most beautiful being ever Mm -hmm. and therefore finding freedom and satisfaction and joy. And then Donovan stands up. And says, hey, me too. I also, I had a part in this. And everyone's eyes are now turned off of God's beauty and purity to me. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do them any good. Right now they're looking at something lesser. And so, I don't know, for me that's a helpful, hmm. I think, I hope that's a helpful point, is that when God shuts out all humanity mm-hmm. so that they can't brag and boast and be the center, it is a gracious thing he's doing because he is preventing us from adoring lesser things. Yeah. Right? Yep. Well, I could go on about this forever because epistemology is a big thing. Um, 
Yeah, we're going to go longer than an hour. This might be a uh, double episode here. Um, yeah, I have some thoughts about um, Sam Harris, and but I'm going to I'm going to punt for now. Let's let's keep playing. Uh, we'll get Sam Harris on another time. Today it's Joe Rogan's thing. So, all right, let's see, Joe, what you got. Day the scientists come up with these new equations that show the the way the universe could have possibly be been formed, and that every day that these fucking guys at the CERN laboratory, the the, the Large Hadron Collider, yeah. are discovering these what? All right, we have to get, we have to. Uh, in Joe's defense, he's not a professional philosopher or, you know he's just some guy who's ranting mm -hmm. right so but that's usually what we run into you know is mm -hmm. people talking and get, sharing their thoughts so um and i think he's stoned <laughs> he's just kind of going which he's might make him better or worse huh? <laughs> yeah i don't know um do you know what the cern collider is uh i don't know where it's at but it's over in europe right it's underground um it's a it's underground giant chamber shaped like a donut that's hyper speeding particles round and yeah, round yeah. Where so, it's amazing yeah, high stuff. level physics experiments yeah. so, but he's going on basically to make the point which we didn't get to which is the idea that um science is advancing and we're, we're we don't need the why anymore right, and i think because, this is a key thing because he's saying he's saying that what they're finding the argument is what they're finding is affirming the theories that they had and so, therefore, our theories now are more and more trustworthy because when we do find something, it's affirming the theories of these particles, these unknown particles and stuff like that. Right. So this is – wait, is that an airplane flying over? What is that? You don't hear that? It's our father-in-law's furnace blown out of the ground. Oh, right there. Yeah. wow. It keeps us toasty in here. Um, so the whole idea of, like, the God of the gaps, all right? So back in the day, people didn't know – you know, what caused um, wind and what caused rain and what caused lightning. And so you just said, what's the gods, mm -hmm. right? And so now that we know how lightning happens and now that we know how rain occurs and we don't need God anymore, and mm -hmm. I, I don't think that way. To me, that's not a category of thought. Um, it's like, a, by way of analogy, if, if I throw a baseball mm -hmm. and you examine the baseball and you go, ah, Here's its speed, its trajectory. Here's what it's doing to the wind around it. Mm -hmm. um, here's its here's its spin. Here's how its spin affects its trajectory. That's fine, but it's it, it still there's something that caused an ultimate prime mover, mm -hmm. and uh, and that can't be proven or disproven. To, to to identify that certain changes in temperature lead to wind. Mm -hmm. You know, it just kicks the you know the causality back one step. Like, mm -hmm. well, what caused the yep. the change in temperature, and yep. why, and was there a reason? And Ca causality and origin, both those issues, they just keep going back and forth, back and back and back. Like, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Where did that come yeah. from? And so, the Christian worldview is that, yeah, we can examine tons of stuff and find penultimate, mm -hmm. at least maybe causes or effects, but we believe that there is a conscious, controlling, loving God who is in it. Right? God says He sends the snow and the rain, and right. He sends armies, and all right. these things are animated ultimately by Him. And most often through systems that He's created that rest upon other systems that He's created. That He's He's intertwined in all the long line. But He loves systems. He loves causality. Right. Now you may not believe that, and that's fine. But pointing out, you know, the the uh, 
the biological processes of our organs yeah. does not do damage to the Christian worldview. Oh, no. It, it, it's it all enc- encompassed within it. It only gets better. Oh, dang. How so? I think that when you're... When you're doing biology, I think that when you're looking at nature, when you're looking at the stars, the more they look, I mean, we have an entire industry built off it called Discovery Channel, History Channel, different places like that. The more you look, the more amazing it gets. It doesn't get... It's irreducible complexity. Right. It doesn't get more blasé. It doesn't just get more, uh, oh, ho-hum, we've seen the bottom of it. We know it's there. Like, the the mysteries get deeper. We just don't have answers for that stuff. We see the complexities and the order and the beauty in these things. And so it draws our attention. It draws our awe. We have entire industries built upon it, which is kind of interesting, you know, like since, at least in our Western world, uh, macro revolution and um, random random chance is, uh, is the greatest suspect of all things. It just doesn't make sense that we have nature channels showing um, not random things, not just um, specks without random order, like beautiful, beautiful things that amaze us. I mean, that's, that's the whole theme of, of Discovery Channel. Is, it's amazing. That it's is amazing. it. Yeah, I was watching some yesterday, and you're not just like, oh, there's the facts. You're just struck. It's awe-inspiring. Yeah. There's yeah. a beauty there. It does not take you to random. And so this gets you know kind of down to epistemology. Like, you're asking for evidence. Like, we don't need more evidence. It's how we interpret the evidence. I would say what, what happens to us when you were born again, you interpret differently. So... Um, I don't like how much more evidence could God give? Like literally, yeah. what would it take? Like, look at this bee. Yep, just one bee. If there's nothing else on the planet, just one just bee. Just a bee. Like our father's father-in-law's apiaries out there. Yeah. Right? Like, all you got to do is understand a bee colony. And if there's no other animal on the planet, um, you've got to answer for that. That is not. <laughs> that is not um, a bizarre, random thing. Like these things come out of these combs, knowing what to do for the amount of days they're going to have. Like it's, it's insane. So you know, I'm going to mention this Sam Harris thing. I was listening to him. So he's a prominent uh, neuroscientist, atheist, his podcasts, and he had his wife on one time, and they were talking about consciousness. Now he is a materialist through and through, and he believes. He believes that so much that he doesn't believe there's free will because everything, which I think is the logical conclusion of materialism, it's just everything's just one biological process triggering the next bio. You know, you're just a string of biological processes. Just rewind and you couldn't help but want chocolate ice cream, right? Like now, he and his wife are wrestling with the uh, with what they call the problem of consciousness because if everything is material, consciousness doesn't make sense. This idea that you have the self awareness and and so they call it a problem. And um, and he and his wife are having this conversation that sounded very faith-based. They're, they're basically, he's saying things like, you know, I can't prove that you have consciousness, which is true. Mm-hmm. But he said, I intuit that you do. And so now he's left the world of science and he's mm-hmm. into the world of faith, which I'd say we all operate within. Everyone. And she's saying, I intuit that you do. And then they both look at, at, a, at a door mm-hmm. and say, I intuit that it doesn't. You can't, there's no lab test right. for whether or not a door has consciousness. Right. And so what happened here is they, they're both, but they're both aware of their consciousness. And so now they have a problem. Hmm. And uh, so point one is, I think, pointing out and establishing that everybody works within the realm of faith or what I would call axioms, mm-hmm. what seems self-evident, mm-hmm. right? It seems self-evident to them that they have consciousness and the door doesn't. And so they're trying to solve that. How can you explain consciousness yeah. without within a, a naturalistic right. worldview? And the answer they went to, which I think there's a real there's a real easy one hanging out there that you've heard of, 
that would, you know, a conscious God made the universe. Boom, there you go. Oh, that solves yeah. the problem. Where they went to was this thing called panpsychism, which they're toying with, like, well, maybe everything has consciousness. And then it's no problem. If consciousness is is part of the fabric of the natural world, the shirt has consciousness, the doorknob has consciousness, then me having consciousness is not a problem. Right. And I think that points out like your biases. Like what's what's more um, palatable? Mm -hmm. A conscious God made you, mm -hmm. and that's why you find beauty, or the doorknob has consciousness. <laughs> yeah. You know, it reveals your bias. So anyway, just it's Romans one stuff. So I think I think um, you know in that in that theme too, you hear people say, "Well, you're a person of faith. I'm a person of science." So there's a good friend of mine that I love. I, I love him to death. I I think God is drawing him to Himself. I'm not sure yet. Um, um, man, this guy studies all kinds of stuff. He um, loves to be in nature. Um, he's probably one of the few people that can. Uh, tolerate as much nature talk and observation as I can um, and sees it all. And we love to talk, but he's just keeps saying, well, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of, I'm a, you're a person of faith. And I'm a person of science. And mm. I'm like, bro, that's, that's not really true. I just admit my faith. I said, we're, everyone is a person of reason and science and logic. Everyone is. And then everyone's reason, science, logic is always founded on a faith base. I just I know what mine is and yeah. I admit to it. So does my some of my Islamic friends or my Buddhist friends. Like they know what their faith base is, they admit to it, and then there's a rich there's a rich pile of logic and reason on top of it. So I very happily declare, in epistemological fashion, my faith basis, and then I love to enhance my reason and logic. So I love to I love to look at nature. I love to listen to science things because it is no threat at all. It's actually beautiful. But I'm happily and honestly admitting my faith basis underneath it. My friend who calls himself a man of science and not faith, a very sharp doctor, um, he won't admit it. And so, uh, so you know, over these, we've had this relationship for a couple of years, and we keep, I keep saying, hey, so hey, I want to go Jesus on you, right? And he goes, all right, all right. I said, okay. I said, but are you are you willing to admit yet that you're a man of faith? He goes, no, I'm a man of science. I said, okay, but you think that rape is wrong, Ugh. right? I said, but the you know the red Louisiana swamp crawdad, when that male wanders out of his little swamp into the next swamp, what does he do? He goes and kills the males, rapes all their females, and has babies again. And that is not immorality. Like we just think that it's just part of the flow of nature. I said, but if some dude comes into our neighborhood and does that, kills the men, rapes the women, that's a moral problem. That's rape. It's wrong. And I said, you believe in rape being wrong. I said, where do you get that from? Can't prove why, it. Why is it not just survival of the fittest? And so, um, what does he say? Um, he's like, Oh, you know, <laughs> that's a, that's a good question. You know, um, and so he sneaks uh, out the back. Right. And, he and, throws a frisbee. You chase it. He drives home. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he walks home. I love the guy. So, um, but, but what I believe in the bottom of this is my, that me asking that question about his faith base, that is apologetics. And I can graciously bring, try to push out the false structure of I'm not a man of faith through apologetics. <gasps> Just say you are a man of faith. But really, if the man's going to come to know Christ, I have to speak of the gospel. Apologetics at the bottom will simply allow me to level the playing field. But if there's going to be any getting out of that playing field, the gospel has to be, be there. So I keep speaking the gospel to him. It's interesting. He actually sits around my preaching sometimes. And um, so we, we, we talk about 
the gospel in terms of Christianity and how Christians don't believe the gospel. And then we've switched it over on him back and forth. So it's yeah. a great, great thing. I love the guy. So I feel compelled. To, this is a little bit rewinding back in the episode, but how what what would it look like for God to show up? And this is where, you know, take Joe's word. So God is love. Mm-hmm. Then show it. You know, and he said, prove it. Okay. Now I'm going to reason here. <laughs> All yeah. right. Um, because we can reason. Yeah, I will. Yeah. But unless you, unless God breaks your will, makes you want to see it, you'll mm-hmm. just deny what's obvious. Mm-hmm. Here's what's obvious: love is sacrifice. It is giving up for others. Mm-hmm. When you are selfish with your kids and your wife and protect yourself mm-hmm. from loss, you're not loving them. Mm-hmm. When you give, pour out, use your resources, diminish your power, diminish your wealth, energy for their benefit, that's love. Love is death. So if God is loving, what would it look like if he showed himself? Mm. It would look like death. Mm. So has God showed himself? That's the question in First Corinthians 1 when the whole Bible says, yes, he did. Now, mm. would you recognize him, right? So I don't know how Joe would respond to that. I've dropped that on some non-Christians, and they're certainly compelled. They're like, Oh, now is that part of what God will use? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, um, but, but to me, that's unassailable logic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So God, I would argue, God has shown Himself. He's just—it wouldn't look like we immediately think, but I think it would look like what we hope it would look like at, at some level, right? In our, mm-hmm. If there's any part of us that's unmarred.